Hello, welcome to another episode of the Secrets and Sin podcast. I am Tristan. And I'm Malin Espinoza. So after reading Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, in class we talked about the uh, interesting story of how she came up with the idea for Frankenstein. Her and some of her friends and her husband were on a vacation trip and they decided to tell each other scary stories and the idea for Frankenstein came out of that. And so the, the idea for this podcast is we're going to tell our own scary stories and then make our stories from there. So without further ado, I'm going to hand it off to Malin. She's taken this project very seriously. She has traveled all the way to El Salvador to get some authentic stories to tell us today. Thank you, Tristan. So yeah, I grew up in um, San Juan Pico, El Salvador. Um, my dad would always tell me all these legendary stories of El Salvador. And one of the most common gothic stories that stuck with me was um, this story. It was about a girl called Siwanava. So this was during the time when the deities could be still seen on Earth. Talak is a member of the pantheon of gods in the Aztec religions. He's actually the supreme god of rain, but also a god of earthly fertility of water. So he was widely worshipped as a beneficial giver of life and sustenance, but he also had um, the ability to send hailstorms, so people did fear him for that. Um, his animal forms included snails and possible sea creatures. So you know this Tala god, he fell madly in love with a young, beautiful woman. This woman was known by the name of Siwahe, and that is actually meaning beautiful woman in Spanish. So everyone in this small village knew this woman. Every time she walked by, men would drool over her. So because of the fruit of their love with the god, the woman did give birth to a son. However, you know, women um, from the village did consider her a very bad mother because she would leave her son home alone just so she could go out for walks because she knew um, all the men would stare at her. For this uh, reason, the child was very malnutritioned. She wasn't taking care of him. And that reason, the child only fed on ash. So this is something that I think is seen a lot in El Salvador, you know. Um, a lot of women get pregnant at a very young age, and they tend to leave their sons and daughters alone. Um, so because of this, Talak did find out about what she was doing. He was very angry at her, and he terribly cursed her forever. So from that moment on, the rain god said she would no longer be known by Suwahet, but instead of Siwanava. So Siwanava means um, like a very horrible, ugly person. So now whenever she is seen from a distance, this woman will look very beautiful. But once a man has his eyes on her, they won't be able to resist themselves to get closer. However, the moment that a man approaches her, her prince will change drastically and become a horrifying monster. The deity also forced her to travel on empty rural paths in search of men that were out late at night. Um, the point of her, she was supposed to frighten them and force them to return to their home with their family. Apart from that, the man is supposed to commit himself to God after seeing her. So once um, a man does approach her, there's only one way to get rid of her, although it is very difficult. So it is said that whoever runs into her needs to get as close as possible as they can and drop to the floor. Then they close their eyes and reach out as far as they can and pull her hair. That way, um, the Siwanava is supposed to get scared and run away from them. Kind of an interesting way to get rid of someone. <laughs> yes, Just there he is. Bow down in front of him. Okay, so we got a story about an ancient Aztec god, Talek, and his little love affair with some beautiful girl. Uh, what's your next story about? 
You know, I feel like all these stories like happen like late at night, something that is seen in common with all of them. So this next one, it's called in Spanish, it's called La Careta Chillona. It means crying carriage or the crying cart. So, you know, this was way before the 20th century. It has been said in very small towns in El Salvador when the clock shows 12 a.m., which is midnight. You can clearly hear the grinding of wheels of the cart. Supposedly, this cart passes at a full speed through the deserted paths. So the story that I'm going to share with you guys today, you know, was also been told by my dad. So, you know, he grew up with his family. He was very close to his cousins. And this was more of a time where it was very dangerous to go out at night. So they would use these stories to scare the children and be like, oh, like, don't go out late at night unless you want to hear the careta chiona. So, you know, it has been said that a man went to visit some friends while he was working. So he was working and building these houses. And, you know, at this time in El Salvador, any money that you could make was very helpful to you and your family because the income was very, very low. They were still getting paid like $3 a day. So, you know, he left his workload to go hang out with his friends and he lost track of time since he was so comfortable there with them that he ended up leaving there at 12 a.m. He wasn't really afraid to walk in the dark because at this time, you know, when he was a young boy, people would always be walking by themselves from place to place because they didn't have cars. So he was walking through a very lonely dirt road and moved calmly to his home. But all of a sudden, he heard like a little queak of like carriage wheels. And he was with his dog. So he, he asked his dog, who could it be at this time of night? He didn't think anything of it. So he continued on his way. So now the sounds of these cars grew even louder and louder as if it was getting closer to him each time. At this time, he was passing by the municipal cemetery, and right away, he felt a chill that ran from his feet to his head, and he immediately personated himself. At this time, religion was a very great thing um, between all the people in El Salvador. Catholicism is actually one of the main religion from El Salvador. Suddenly, he did see this white car pass right in front of his eyes. He was shocked. He didn't know what he had just seen. And actually, inside of the carriage, there was a strange reddish glow. The most confusing thing about this legend, though, is that the man actually didn't know how he entered his house that night. He woke up uh, confused the very next day, and then he actually said that he was in bed with a fever exceeding 100 degrees Fahrenheit and stayed in bed for almost a week. So I feel like the purpose of this is, like I said earlier, you know, for to scare the kids so they wouldn't be um, going out late at night because of all the things that was happening. Yeah, it's cool. Got two cultural and historically significant stories. It's interesting. They both deal with religion, one old and one new. So that's pretty interesting. All right, so you got one more story to tell, right? Yep, and this one is actually a continuance of the legend of the Siwanaba. It's actually pertaining to her son. So this is the legend of El Cipitio. That was the name of her son. And so, you know, the story of this was just like the mother didn't take care of him. He really converted himself into this person because he would always be eating ash. The Tala God actually threw a curse on him that he could never convert himself into a man. He will pertain as a child for years and years and years. The older adults of El Salvador are the ones that tell these stories because this one goes like more back. And so it has said that in the houses of people who had a fireplace, and at this time, not many people had fireplaces. It was only like the bigger houses that had these. So it was more in like the rich towns, which wasn't a law. It has said that from time to time, the spirit of the child would appear. 
And since you know, Cipitio not only loves to eat the ash produced by the burned timbers, but he also would love um, enjoying rolling himself all over, getting all over his body. So you know, the classic description of him is he's a very small, short structure. He has a very big round belly, and I think that's what most people always remember him by, because he's so short, and then his belly is so big. And, you know, um, his extremities of his face, it's just, like, they don't make sense. So when people see him, they, like, get, they get curious and they want to know how he looks. So, you know, whenever they see him, what he does is he runs away. But for some reason, it makes people want to follow him. So they follow him into wherever he goes to. But as they go and try to follow him, he kind of makes them lose their path because of how small he is. So he just, like runs away and like yeah, the speed of light you don't even see him so unlike his father this character he does not hurt anyone el cipitio he's just you know like i said he's a child he he will never grow up to be a man so all he does is that but although occasionally he can sometimes carry out a harmless mischief you know finally we can say that although this story has been added and removed some things i feel like throughout the years People like to change it up, and then they add this and that. But at the same time, you know, the structure of it, it I feel like it always remains the same. With Siwanawa being his mom, these stories, like, always combine to each other, and people of El Salvador always know them. Okay. So we got Angry Mistress, we got Crying Carriage, and we got a mischievous little kid. Interesting combination. I got an idea about where a story can come from that. And also, very cool, we get to learn about El Salvador and its uh, culture. So thank you very much for that. Yeah, you're welcome. So now, Tristan, would you like to share some scary gothic stories with me now? Uh, yeah. To keep with the theme of historical stories, I got a pretty famous one to share with you. This character is very well known in popular culture, so let's see if you can guess who this story is about. Captain Van Der Decken had made the perilous journey from Holland to the Far East Indies in order to purchase lucrative goods like spices, silks, and dyes. There had been close calls, of course, but they eventually arrived. After purchasing as much as the hull could hold and having made the necessary repairs to the ship, Captain Van Der Decken set out for Amsterdam. As his ship rounded the coast of Africa, Captain Van Der Decken thought of how convenient it would be if his employers, the Dutch East India Company, made a settlement near the Cape of Good Hope in South Africa to serve as a respite from the turbulent waters. The captain was deep in thought as his man-of-war ship began to round the Cape. Suddenly, a terrible gale sprung up, threatening to capsize the ship and drown all aboard. The sailors urged the captain to turn around, but Captain Vanderdecken refused. Some say he was mad, others say he was drunk, but for whatever reason, the captain ordered his crew to press on. He lit his pipe and smoked as huge waves crashed against the ship. The wind tore at the sails and the water spilled down into the hull. Yet the captain held his course, challenging the wrath of God Almighty by swearing a blasphemous oath. Pushed to the limit, the crew mutinied. Without hesitation, Captain Vanderdecken killed the rebel leader and threw his body into the turning seas. The moment the rebel's body hit the water, the vessel spoke to the captain, asking him if he did not mean to go into the bay that night. Vanderdecken replied, May I be eternally damned if I do, though I shall beat about here to the day of judgment. At that, the voice spoke again, saying, As a result of your actions, you are condemned to sail the oceans for eternity, with a ghostly crew of dead men bringing death to all who sight your spectral ship, and to never make port or know a moment's peace. 
Furthermore, Gale shall be your drink, and red hot iron your meat. At this, Captain Vanderdecken did not quaver for an instant. Instead, he merely cried, Amen to that. Since then, Captain Vanderdecken has been given the moniker the Flying Dutchman, sailing his ghost ship the world over. Sailors claim the Dutchman has led ships astray, causing them to crash on hidden rocks or reefs. They say that if you look into a fierce storm brewing off the Cape of Good Hope, you will see the captain and his skeletal crew. But beware, legend has it that whoever catches sight of the Dutchman will most certainly die a gruesome death. Wow, I would call it karma what the Dutchman got, but I see that he really didn't care that he got that curse on him. Yeah, pretty irresponsible captain. So now Tristan does have another story to tell us. This next story comes from the Flash Fiction Library. It is part of a larger story, so I'm cutting some things out for the sake of clarity. But if you want to read the whole story and the other stories in this expanded universe, you can find them online on the Flash Fiction Library. Just search the keyword Blackpool Bay. Almost a century and a half ago, as the sun was setting, a humble fisherman arrived back at Blackpool Bay with a rather unique catch. According to the fisherman identified only as Horatio, a freak current had dragged his small vessel out of the bay and into the open ocean. He was an experienced fisherman and he had saved his energy by not fighting the freak current. As he had expected, eventually the current had dissipated and he began rowing back to the coastline, back into the bay. Given that fishing was his livelihood, he had decided to drag his net behind as he rowed. With a bit of luck, he had thought, he might catch some fish making the day not a complete waste. According to Horatio, in the local paper at the time, while rowing, his boat had suddenly snagged something heavy with his net. Excitedly, he had pulled the net up into the boat, expecting a shoal of cod or perhaps tuna. Instead, and to his horror, a slender, well-formed arm had emerged from the dark water as he pulled out a heavy net. The arm was attached to a shoulder and then a well-formed neck. As he pulled the neck into the boat and unwrapped it, the beautiful naked form of a woman emerged and collapsed into his boat. The Blackpool Bay Daily had a follow-up article dated from about a week or so after the first mention of this incident. It also is the first time that Miss Daisy's name is mentioned and the article includes a grainy, blurring black and white photo of her standing at the docks with the dark brooding ocean behind her. According to the article, Miss Daisy remained mute but had adjusted well to living with Horatio and his wife. She could join Horatio on his daily fishing trips and seemed natural at sea. The local doctor had examined her and concluded that she was as fit as a fiddle and no worse for her ordeal. No members of the public or officials had come forth claiming her identity or offering clues as to the events surrounding how she ended up out far in the open ocean. Thus, the local mayor had decided to name her Daisy, and the townsfolk had shrugged the mystery off and continued with their daily lives. From this point, the tale of Miss Daisy of Blackpool Bay starts to take a turn for the darker. Horatio's wife was the first to die. Medical records report that she succumbed to a mysterious illness, wasting quickly away and passed late one night. Church records show that no less than a month after she was buried, Horatio married Miss Daisy. But this was not to last long, as one evening Horatio's fishing boat came back to shore without him in it. Miss Daisy, still mute, could not explain what had happened, but the boat had lots of water in it and all the items were missing. Thus, the old fisherman at the docks concluded that it must have been a freak wave or something that had washed Horatio overboard. His two children were then sent off to live with a relative inland, and Miss Daisy retired to his old house and stopped going out in public. 
The rest of the story, save the ending, is speculation and hearsay. Neighbors reported a strange sound and a horrific smell emanating from Horatio's old house. A number of pets were reported missing across the bay, particularly in the roads around Horatio's old house. A mysterious sickness swept the town, and many good folk became bedridden with all the symptoms of a vicious bout of seasickness, but not having set one foot on a boat. And then, late one particularly dark night, a great storm rolled. Its wind churned up the ocean into a frenzy as the rain beat down on the helpless town. Two neighbors living in the same road and a number of other good folk died between the docks and her house, all reports seeing that amidst the terrible storm, a strange misshapen group had shuffled slowly to Miss Daisy's house and beyond her front door. Miss Daisy had not been seen for many months, and thus her ragged, wild appearance was a shock to the neighbor. A certain Mr. Humphrey, who saw her throw open the door and confront the strange shady group on her porch, her hair was tangled and wild, her complexion pale and taut, and her frame thin and wispy. No doubt confused, ignorant, and as superstitious as only small town folk can be, this neighbor further reported that Miss Daisy was completely naked, and this nakedness revealed a strange scaling to her skin and thin gill-like slits down her strangely long eel-like neck. Irrespective of the details or fantasies of a crazed mind, Miss Daisy and this strange group proceeded to have a heated argument. This is stranger indeed given the fact that Miss Daisy was, by all accounts, quite mute. But irrespective, the argument got physical and at some point the leader of that misshapen group roughly struck Miss Daisy. She crumpled to the floor and the group quickly scooped her up and started back down the road from which they had come. Witnessing all of this through the slip in his blinds and being a good neighbor, Mr. Humphrey had grabbed his old rifle from the wall. According to what he told the reporter the next day, he had rushed out into the howling wind beating rain and chest after the motley crew as they shuffled down the road with Miss Daisy's limp form strung across them. By this time, the misshapen coven had arrived at the docks and was standing out by the edge of the pier. Lightning flashed and the storm raged overhead with a demonic vengeance. What they were planning to do was unclear to Mr. Humphrey, as there was no boats moored there nor any other vessel at the end of the pier. The waves were crashing all around them, sea spray thick in the howling air as torrential rain made it hard to see clearly. Mr. Humphrey said that he had called out and fired, hitting one of the figures with little effect. While he charged down the pier, all but one of the group had ignored this and knelt at the edge of the pier, letting Miss Daisy's crumpled form slip below the raging black waters. Charging right at them, Mr. Humphrey had taken aim again, but just before he fired, that one that had turned to face him had leapt at him and with supernatural strength overpowered him, ripping the rifle from his hand and closing his hands around his neck. According to the Blackwell Bay Daily Reporter, Mr. Humphrey had passed out at this point. He was found bruised and unconscious, his rifle lying neatly next to him. The storm had blown out in the early hours of the morning, and any trace or evidence as to Miss Daisy's whereabouts and the mysterious group that had abducted her was long gone. While Mr. Humphrey could not describe the strange group of people that had abducted Miss Daisy, he had gotten a single flash of the misshapen face of the one that had jumped on him. The official description per the police report describes this unnatural strong man as having no face whatsoever but a warped, pristine horror of slime and tentacle covered with a black wet robe. It was like a hellish inky jellyfish had pulled itself together into the shape of a man with tentacles instead of limbs and crawled onto the land with the sole objective of abducting poor Miss Daisy before returning to whatever deep, dark crevice it had originally come from. Nobody has ever found out of Miss Daisy, nor washed up ashore. 
Like, likewise, no ransom demand ever surfaced. On the strange, vile group that had abducted her, know that the clues save some strange black inking fluid left at the end of the pier, perhaps the poison wicked blood of the creature that had gotten shot by Mr. Humphrey. There was not even whispers of any kind to indicate where and who they were or what their models with Miss Daisy might have been. When the police had searched Horatio's old house, they found very little to substantiate anything. The house was filthy and accredited with the stench of dead fish throughout it. Strange, unnatural symbols were scrawled all over the walls and its floors, in what appeared to be dried blood and some black, inky substance. There was a full bath run with heavily salted water in it, and a bottle of noxious, unidentified liquid was recovered from below the sink, and suggestive bloodstains and small bones had been found in the kitchen. Strange scales were scattered throughout the house, as if some bizarre fish had been shedding them. Beyond this, the rest is a mystery. Pets stopped disappearing, the strange plague that had made so many sick dissipated, and Blackpool Bay slowly went back to its normal, sleepy activity. The sole exception to this was Old Horatio's house, which stood empty and uncared for until it eventually burned down late one night in a mysterious fire. Okay, so we have a Dutchman killing everyone on his way, and then a fisherman catching up full-body naked woman at the Blackpool Bay, Miss Daisy. And it's kind of interesting because at first, I actually was thinking of her as kind of a mermaid. And, you know, I've have heard stories of supposedly the Navy keeping a mermaid from us and hiding it from us, so that's what I kind of thought about. This last story is called The Dream Eater. He knew he was dreaming. The landscape felt both familiar and vague with no real details. He had no idea how he had gotten here or what he was doing. Somehow, he was in his old classroom, the English classroom, or was it the math one? And outside, it was sunny with green trees. Somehow, this was not strange despite the fact that he was now 40 and working in another country. Yes, this was definitely a dream, he thought to himself while he sat in his old chair. Are, are you real? The question made him jump. It came from right next to him. How had he not noticed the strange little goblin-looking creature sitting next to him in the classroom? Bare skin stretched tightly over a skull-shaped face with large childlike eyes all combining to inspire a strange combination of fear, revulsion, and pity when looking at the little creature. Are you real? The little creature asked again, looking directly at him, grave near comical concern over its ugly little face. Um, no. He paused before shaking his head. This is a dream. None of us are real. I'm not real, and neither are you. The little creature looked away. It almost looked sad, and he felt a silly impulse to hug it. Before he could do anything, it looked back at him. The classroom was getting dark. It was nighttime now. Are you sure you're not real? The creature asked softly, almost threateningly showing some pointed, sharp teeth in its mouth. I am certain I am real. How do you know that what lies out there is not the dream? Why can't this be real, and the strange place you think you live be the dream? Lightning began to streak in the sky outside. Shadows were rising up in the corners of the classroom, with menacing eyes peering out from them. And just as he was about to answer, the bell rang. He woke up in his bed, covered with, in sweat, with his heart racing. He shook his head. He was sitting in the bedroom a million miles away from the classroom. He was 40 years old and had long since left that school. What a strange dream. The next day dawned and he fell into the bustling of the weekday routine, though he could not stop thinking about the strange goblin-like creature in his dream with its large childlike eyes and pointy teeth. In fact, as the day went on, he thought more and more about the creature. What a strange thought. 
What if he was currently dreaming now? What if this was the dream, and at night when he fell asleep, he actually woke up in the real world? What if he was a teenager dreaming that he was a 40-year-old man? What if the creature was right and he really was there? What if all of this was not real? What if he was a child dreaming that he was an adult living in another city? These thoughts had started as mental itches, but as he scratched them, they had gotten itchier. By the end of the day, sitting in traffic on the way home, these thoughts were starting to circle around in his head. By the time he opened the door to his small apartment, the thoughts were all he could think of. Faced with the dark emptiness of his apartment and life, he suddenly felt tired. He felt exhausted. He was completely drained of every ounce of energy. If this was a dream, he did not want to be in it anymore. It was a miserable dream and he wanted to wake up. He collapsed on his couch in his living room. He could not even summon the energy to turn the light or the television on. He just slapped down into a crumpled heap on the couch and, in the growing darkness of evening, he drifted into a deep sleep. Are, are you real? He was standing back in the classroom, only it was a little different. Perhaps it was the French classroom. Maybe the walls were a different color or the room was a different size. There was more detail in the room than this time. But none of that mattered, as the little creature with childlike eyes and pointy teeth stood before where he sat. Are you real? Y yes, he stuttered, trying desperately to remember why he was here or where he had come from. Yes, I, I, I am real. I know I'm real. And then he remembered the other dark, dreary dream and added, I do not want the other dream. I do not. Then if I kill you here, you will die, the little creature whispered menacingly. He was suddenly aware of how he could barely move and how sharp the claws on the little fingers of this creature were. The hairs on the back of his neck began to rise. A cold shiver ran down his spine. Yes, I, I th think so, he stuttered barely able to move his mouth as fearful paralysis crept up his helpless limbs and his mind became blank. Good, good, the little creature cooed wickedly, rows and rows of sharp pointy teeth appearing in his mouth as he began to grin. For I am the dreamer, liberating the sleepers from their false dreams of light and life. Come, let me show you the true dreams of darkness and death. A gurgling sound rose up from his throat as he tried to scream, but he could not. He could not move. His limbs did not exist. His mind was frozen and the darkness was closing in. The classroom suddenly looked terrifying. Flashing lights and pounding rain sounded outside as the dream reader floated closer and closer to him with its sharp pointed teeth becoming all he could see. The police found him two days later when a family member called them. He had not shown up for work for two days without notice. Work had then called the family and his brother who lived in the same city. After numerous calls and no answers, his brother had come over to see if he was all right and had not been able to get th into the apartment. It was then that his brother had called the police, who had kicked the door down in an attempt to see if he was all right. He was not all right. He was curled up on the couch. He was pale white like the very life had been sucked from him. His eyes were wide open and glassy, like a blind man. Most terrifying, though, was his face. It was contorted in a silent scream that no one in, in this dream had heard. For this is how the dream eater hunts, and that is how the dream eater feeds. Good night, sleep tight, and don't let the dream eater bite. Uh, thank you sh for sharing that story. Now I'm even scared to dream now. <laughs> it's certainly a creepy story with a creepy little creature. Yes, it is. I've seen that a lot of people have in common with sleep paralysis. It's not something that I have ever experienced. I have had a friend experience that, and I don't think I would ever want to experience it. 
Yeah, I've experienced it before, but um, for me, it's not too bad. Mm. I can usually just be all like, okay, I'm in sleep paralysis. Don't worry. (laughs) Yeah, I wish I could be that calm. Through the magic of audio recording and editing, we have written our stories and are ready to share them with you. I will go first. Just as a reminder, the three stories that Malin chose for me were the story about T'Challa and his little mistress, the crying carriage, and the story about T'Challa's son. All throughout his life, Rennie had been told that to go out to the woods past midnight would be to court danger. His mother warned him of the crying lady, a tale as old as the ancient civilizations that once stood where he was now. Myths, legends, lies. Rennie never thought twice about the validity of the claims his mother made, but even as an adult, he could remember the story. A lady once married to the god of rain. They lived happily together, had a son, and every night the rain god would stroke his wife's hair. But one day, without warning or reason, the rain god abandoned his wife and son on his cloudy chariot, returning to the heavens, never to be seen by his family ever again. Devastated, the wife cried and cried. Day after day, the wife neglected her son and wept. The son, growing hungry, thought if only he can find his mother another husband, they could live happily again. He would lead countless men to his mother, but his mother's tears turned from sadness to anger. The rain god had mocked her, and so she would mock him. She would shed her tears down from the sky like a rainstorm, following the sounds of her husband's chariot. And her tears, filled with such venomous hatred, turned human flesh and bone to ash with every drop. Every would-be husband that the son led to his mother met the same end. Fairy tales, Rennie thought as he walked along the forest's edge. Eventually, Rennie came upon a small child. Hey kid, you lost, he said. The kid glanced up at him, said nothing, and disappeared into the woods. Rennie couldn't understand why, but he had an urge to follow the child. Not because he cared for the child's safety, which he did, but it was a different, stronger feeling. He chased after the child, walking further and further into the forest until all traces of the boy, and more importantly, Rennie's sense of direction, were gone. Rennie did not worry, however. He had been in these woods before. He'd simply retraced his steps until his surroundings became familiar. As he walked, the sounds of the woods slowly faded away, and the sound of wheels turning grew louder before they too faded. Rennie looked around to see if he knew the area, but all he noticed were rain clouds overhead. Suddenly, a wailing echo sounded throughout the woods, a mournful sound of despair and scorn. Out from the woods appeared the crying lady, holding the hand of her son, the child that led Rennie here. Rennie became panicked with fear. He knew he had to run, but it was too late. Teardrops rained down and pelted Rennie, burning his skin on contact. Pain began to overwhelm him. He screamed in agony, but his howl couldn't pierce the sharp cry of the lady. Rennie thought back to his mother's story, scouring his memory for some information to help him. The crying lady approached Rennie, and Rennie began to walk towards her. Rennie watched as tears turned his flesh gray, and he stared horrified as his flesh slowly blew away. Rennie and the lady were now face to face gazing into each other's eyes. With the last of his strength, the last of his muscle and tissues, Rennie reached out with his now bony arm and began stroking the lady's hair. Suddenly, the crying stopped. The crying lady, now calm, looked into Rennie's soul and grabbed his skeletal hand. Slowly, Rennie's flesh returned to him in an ethereal form. Rennie, the lady, and the child began to float into the air. 
They ascended to the heavens where the crying lady lived the rest of her life with her new family as the goddess of rain. That was my story. Just to tie it in with some themes from the class, some tropes of the Gothic. What I noticed that was interesting about the stories that Malin chose was uh, how many tropes actually fit in with them. There's the trope of mysterious children, trapped women, and losing control of a sort of mesmerizing sense. These are all things I found interesting and wanted to include in my story. Now, Malin will read her story. Okay, so just to recap what Tristan had, the three stories he had was the Legend of the Flying Dutchman, the Dream Eater, and the Creature That Was Pulled at Sea. So one day there was a boy named Gerardo. He and his friends lived in a town named Crete. Every day after school, they would go to the beach. They called it the beach because that was the actual name, but it was actually just a lake. So they would go hang out and drink there. They were still in high school at the time, so that is the reason they would go there because they weren't actually legal enough to drink yet. So they had been coming here for the longest time ever since freshman year. Now um, they were seniors. So it was March 13th, and they surprisingly, it fell on a Friday. So it was Friday the 13th. They thought it would be fun to have a get-together at the beach and invite two other friends. So they texted them in the group chat and said, Friday the 13th party at the beach. Remember, at that time, um, there wasn't anywhere else that they could hang out. So that was the main place they chose. So it was 6 p.m. and everyone was there at the beach. They were just having fun, enjoying the sun. When all of a sudden, someone mentions that they see a ship on the other side of the shore. And remember, these boys have always been going to this beach. So they thought it was really weird that that ship was there. They have never seen it before. So one of the friends thought it was a good idea and say, hey, let's go to my truck and drive to the other side and see what we can do. They agreed. Gerardo mentioned to his friend that it maybe wasn't a good idea since they have never seen this before. And his name was Brian. But Brian, always trying to be the cool guy, said, oh, no, let's just go. So they decided to go and they approached the big ship. To their surprise, it read Flying Dutchman on the side of the ship. Again, no one knew why this boat was there. No one knew whose it was. But again, they said, oh, let's get on it and see if maybe we can take it out to the water. Um, when they got there inside of the boat, um, they saw that they had some oars there. So one of the boys said, hey, why don't we try to row it out into the water? And there again, Gerardo says, I don't think that this will be a good idea. But again, Brian said, no, come on, let's just do it. So they agreed. Once they rowed the boat out, they agreed to just um, be there for a while and chill in the middle of the lake. They started having fun, just talking, when all of a sudden, one of the boys on the ship decides to go crazy and starts screaming out loud, get off my ship now. Everyone started looking at him all crazy. They thought he was just messing around. But again, he said, get off my ship now. Now the kids got worried and pushed him down, told him down as hard as they could, but he was just kicking and kicking. They didn't know what was going on. And then all of a sudden, words came out of his mouth saying, I'm the Flying Dutchman and now you must all get out of my ship. He finally got loose and jumped out of the ship and he drowned himself. Everyone was so confused at what was going on. All the kids freaked out and then jumped in after him and they all tried swimming as fast as they could out to shore. They swam and swam. Gerardo was able to grasp his friend, the one that had drowned, and he was trying to help him go out to shore with him. 
The Flying Dutchman watched them all swimming to shore, laughing at them. He then forced his own ship to crash into a rock ahead. The kids, not knowing what was going on, turned around and saw the ship crash, and they tried to swim even faster and faster until they saw something, some sort of fish, but some sort of fish that had a human body with a fin. Um, it had scales all over it, and they still didn't know what this creature was. But it just kept swimming towards them. There was like 10 of them run, swimming and swimming as fast as they could towards the kids. As soon as one of them was about to kill Gerardo, his alarm went off at 7.15 a.m. for school. His eyes opened and he just laid there in bed and couldn't move. Not a single limb could move. He said to himself, it was all a dream. It was all a dream. I'm okay now. But why couldn't he move? He laid there and laid there trying to move, but not a single limb would move. When out of nowhere, a little ugly creature comes out from under his bed, and he still says to himself, I'm dreaming, there is nothing here. But then that little creature talked and said, Did you like your dream? Gerardo said, No, I'm going crazy, no one is talking to me. But he decided to answer. No, said Gerardo, you're not real. And then the creature said, I am real. Gerardo responded, leave me alone, trying to move up his bed. But again, he can't move. He can't move at all. The creature says, I can stop all of this if you want me to. Gerardo says to himself, please stop. This is all just a dream. And then the creature says, if you do one simple task, say dream eater three times, you will wake up and everything will go away. Gerardo said, dream eater, dream eater, dream eater. Three hours later, Brian, his friend, called his mom at work saying that Gerardo did not come to school. All of a sudden, it was weird because why would Gerardo not come to school? Brian asked his mom if he could go to their house and see if everything was okay. Brian walks into Gerardo's room and Gerardo's just laying there, not moving, not breathing. Brian doesn't know what to do. He starts moving him and moving him, and he still doesn't know what to do. Then he calls 911. The paramedics get there. They realize that Gerardo has been dead now for four hours and that he died in his sleep. And that was my story. Nice. Got yeah, so you put some pretty good, pretty interesting gothic tropes in there. You noticed uh, you had the nested narratives like Frankenstein did. There is the sense of evil infection and madness, loss of control. Kind of similar to some of the tropes and stories you had, too. Yeah, I feel like they all tied up together. I thought it was going to be a little difficult to create this story, but once I was able to figure out all those tropes and everything, I guess it all wrapped up well. Yeah, so there you have it. That's the end of our podcast. I hope you enjoyed not only our stories, but the stories we found on the internet. Don't forget to check out the other episodes of the Secrets and Sins podcast, hosted by a wide variety of excellent people with very interesting topics.